Hello and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers, or shall I say, Skeptics and Seekers, the after show. That's not the same as after dark. Put your pants back on. I'm your host, David, the skeptic, and I'm joined by the other panelist who was not able to join us before, Brian, with a Y. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me on. So did you have a chance to uh, listen to all four epic hours of the show? I listened to all four hours, and I loved every moment of it. I thought it was fantastic. You guys did a great job. Kudos to to all your panelists. Yeah, eventually I'm going to have to go back and listen to that myself. I've <laughs> largely forgotten <laughs> what was said. <laughs> And I believe I was on drugs at the time, so I really should go back and listen to that. Um, I do remember editing uh, bits of it. I always go through the show very quickly uh, while I'm editing to make sure that there are no major gaffes, which I, I'm not sure why I do, because sometimes I miss major gaffes. But um, it did it did sound pretty good when I went through it. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do. I, I seem to remember having a lot of fun. Uh, and I also seem to remember missing uh, your presence on the show, so I'm glad that uh, we've got you here on the after show today. Um, just for a few minutes here, we're going to talk about uh, the doctrines uh, that were hardest to accept and the doctrines that were hardest uh, to let go. Now, I've put together five on each side uh, of that equation. Uh, did you take any notes by chance, or were you just planning to wing this off the top of your head? I made a, I made a few notes, but you know nothing too substantive. Uh, substantive. So uh, you know, I'm certainly happy to follow your lead, but I've got some stuff I can get into. Okay, uh, it sounds to me like you're winging it and you're lying about the notes. I understand. <laughs> no, no problem. I've done this. This is a the lot. A, this is the after show, right? I've got my robe on. <laughs> I've got my cognac. I mean, I'm. This is a whole different animal. You know, I've always wanted a smoking jacket, but I've never wanted to smoke. Um, <laughs> you can still wear the jacket. I think that would be, that would be fine. Is that okay? When I was yeah. when I was much younger, I uh, I used to think about having um, a room much like the room that I have now. Um, and my goal, my my thought process, as I twisted and warped it was, would be to hire someone to come and sit in my room for a couple of days a week and smoke a pipe. Because I, I wanted, I, I like, I like that, you know, some of the pipe smoke scents, <laughs> but I never actually wanted to smoke the damn thing myself. <laughs> so. I mean, I have to concur. Pipe smoke does. I agree, it smells good, but yeah, I don't think I'd want the the other parts that come with yeah, it. I mean, I don't want to die. I'm not crazy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this, this sounds like a, this sounds like a, bat, a BSC episode that you can make about <laughs> tobacco and Christianity or something. I think that uh, people will think that what I just said was BSC enough for one episode. <laughs> um, so uh, let's just let's jump in. Um, there are I, I do want to acknowledge that I mean for a lot of people Christianity is a very attractive uh, belief system. And it can be very hard to let go. Um, all of us that were on the panel uh, have said that it was very hard for us to let go. We we didn't want to let go. I think that you have said something very similar to that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some of the things that were hard to let go. 
for me, but I can I can tell you there were also things that were really hard to buy into uh, that were pretty easy to let go. Uh, and so I want to start with that list. I want to start with the easy list. Um, so number one on my list uh, that so few would be saved. I, I found that hard to swallow. Uh, my particular denomination uh, believed that we were the only ones going to be saved and we were a very small denomination. If, if this was true, then... All of the almost all of the galaxy is just a waste of waste of time and space, <laughs> you know. And and most all of the Earth is a waste of time and space. And most all of the history on the Earth was a waste of time and space. Um, so it, it was really hard to it, it was tough for me to hang on to that particular doctrine. And I can tell you, even after I stepped outside of my denominational bubble. And looked at the percentage of, you know, started speculating about the percentage of actual saved Christians, if you include it, you know, a broader spectrum outside of my denomination. It it didn't change the equation that much. Almost everybody was going to hell. And, of course, that echoes what Jesus says. Uh, that uh, narrow is the way and few there be that find it, but broad is the way to destruction, and many there be that finds that. And I just, it, it just dawned on me that there's something broken about that equation, and uh, I, I was able to let that go pretty easy. Uh, I, that was hard for me to buy into. Yeah, I think that. I think that makes sense, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that back in the day when I was a Christian, I would have intellectually agreed. But I think it's easy to justify because what that does then is knowing that you're saved, you feel a lot more special, knowing that there's not many that will be, and you're one of the one of the few, one of the proud. So I, I have a feeling that that emotionally makes it easier to swallow the the issues you're raising intellectually. Right, but eventually I grew a conscience. Are we, are we supposed to do that? Is that is that part of what we're supposed no, to do? No, I don't here? think we are supposed to do that. <laughs> I think that is part of the problem. Uh, but as I started to grow into my humanity, that's that seemed extra special wrong. And when you think about passages uh, that have uh, that would say things like, um, you know, God God's desires that uh, all would be saved and that none should perish. One wonders why he couldn't have set up a system where the uh, the right way would be easy to find. <laughs> why, why should it be hard to find? Why wouldn't the right way be easy to follow? Why should it be hard to follow? You know, so I mean, he has some control over uh, the desirability of the right path, and. So when you when you ask yourself, well, why is it so narrow and why is it so hard to find and why is it so unattractive to so many people? Well, you know, that's by design. And so there's something wrong with that design. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree. And, and I think it's one of those things that it's hard. It's hard to get into someone else's shoes when you're already in the elect. I, I can imagine it's it's hard to, to to fathom why they wouldn't want these amazing things that that we were wanting at the time. So, uh, yeah. But but upon thinking about it, like you said, yeah, it's pretty easy to get to get to where we are at this point, thinking about it that way. So I'm going to give you my next one, and um, 
that'll that'll give you a chance to to think something up. I'll throw it to you after this one. I mean, what I mean is you can consult your notes. Yes, I have copious, extensive notes here in front of me, David. Uh, (laughs) That's that's what I meant to say. Um, So the uh, second thing on my uh, list was um, that disbelief was a good enough reason to be lost. Uh, Now, I was, once again, in a denomination of a mindset that there were no honest atheists. There, There were simply no atheists, period. Uh, forget honest. Everyone knew that there was a God. Everyone believed that there was a God. They may not uh, want to put their trust in him, but they knew that God existed. And so I didn't believe in atheists at all, really. Uh, but once I did uh, come to believe that there were people who honestly did not uh, believe that there was a God for whatever reason, you know, maybe they were mentally challenged. Who knows? Uh, maybe they grew up in the wrong country. Um, you know, maybe, you know, some, some dirt farmer in China, uh, just has not had the opportunity to, uh, come in contact with some good Christian evangelist from the Bible built United States. Um, so they don't know about God. Um, it seems to me that such a person should not be lost. Even if they run into an evangelist, and here's the thing, it's possible to run into really bad ones, or that they, they tell a story in such a way that it's not believable. So it, it seems like if there is any penalty at all for simply not believing, that whatever hell is, that seems like too much punishment for the simple act of a free will being with limited intellect, not believing an outlandish story. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with this one. This is actually, to me, I think the silver bullet. It, it, it does not make sense that in a relationship where one being is finite and mortal and the other is infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, that the responsibility on the eternal fate of the mortal being rests mostly on the one with the less power and the less knowledge. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, if you, if you analogize uh, a parent-child relationship, there's no way that you would punish a toddler for the rest of his life with torture for spilling milk at the kitchen table. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. And that was very, very easy to let go of and, and probably a good catalyst for, uh, for how I got out in the first place. Yeah, I, um, so, I mean, you, you kind of make a veiled reference to the Adam and Eve story. I could, I could spend two hours talking about that story off the top of my head. I wrote a, I wrote a little booklet, um, on, uh, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, the creation story, probably about 50 or 60 pages. I think I've deleted it since, uh, since then, but it's, um, I was going for a book and I got distracted. Uh, I do this a lot. Um, but uh, one of one of the aspects of that story that just doesn't sit well with me and never has sat well with me is you've got these new creations and they did not know what sin was. And how do we know they didn't know what sin was? They didn't know what good and evil was because they were forbidden to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A lot of people say this is a tree of knowledge. That's a short name. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, that's the long name. 
And so they were strictly forbidden to have the knowledge of good and evil. And yet they will be uh, blamed for doing good or evil. And that penalty uh, will cost them their lives and uh, the life and health of the entire universe. That just, that seems wrong. That that seems like, um, I, I can't even think of a, an analogy, um, some, some kind of a monstrous analogy that that would be, but it, that's... Um, that one that one always troubled me and i and i always thought the story was uh literal we'll get we'll get back to that maybe okay um <laughs> yeah your turn. yeah i i always i always thought that i always thought uh you know that god would, but the first sin committed wasn't wasn't eve being tempted by the apple the first sin was god being guilty of entrapment by putting the tree in the in the garden in the first place yeah yeah that's that was probably on page Fifteen or so of my my lost book. Um, So, uh, sure. What do you What do you have? Sure. So, so I think you know we've been talking about this a lot lately on the boards. uh, But I think uh, the doctrine of hell obviously was really easy to let go of. It it didn't make sense that it was necessary as something. You know, the carrot and the stick. Right. If the carrot of heaven is so amazing, you don't need the stick. If nobody would ever refuse the amazingness of heaven. You don't need the stick of hell. So that never made any sense and was pretty easy to let go of. Uh, and just also the, the length, you know, eternity for, you know, eternal punishment for finite crimes is unjust. It doesn't make any sense. And just the level of, you know, depending on how you thought about hell, but the worst depictions of hell is, it would be absolute agony for five minutes, let alone eternity. Uh, and, you know, for the crime of, 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 of not believing in God and not following God for whatever reason, uh, a mortal, imperfect being got there. It, it not, never made any sense um, and was certainly easy to let go of. So, uh, yes, I agree. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I'm surprised that you uh, say it was easy to let go of because a lot of uh, a lot of former Christians, they they have to do a lot of counseling uh to, to get that out of their system. It's almost like a post-traumatic uh, stress type of syndrome. I mean, for me, every time I heard a train horn, it was train horns for me. Um, off in the distance, I'm thinking, okay, well, there's the final horn. I'm going to go to hell. You know, because I'm less, I, I, as, as, Good as I've tried to be, <laughs> there, there, there's probably some unrepentant sin of mine. And, well, here we go. <laughs> um, I had that knee-jerk reaction for a long time. That, that was as a Christian. Uh, you can imagine that uh, as a non-Christian, um, that knee-jerk reaction didn't go away overnight. Now I'm over it now. Uh, but... That's that's one of those things that a lot of people find very difficult to let go of, even when they don't intellectually uh, give it a cent. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And I, and I certainly wouldn't want to trivialize, uh, you know, uh, people that are on their way out or, or are recently out and they still have that struggle. I think it's real. Uh, and I absolutely think they should, you know, um, you know, do their best to, to talk to someone or whatever and try to get grips with it. Because, yeah, it could be debilitating. Sure. I guess what I mean is it was it was tough for me while I was processing and while I was on my way out. But once I was to the place where, yeah, I don't think any of this is real 
it wasn't hard at that point to let go of it any more than you know i i've never spent a moment worrying about uh muslim hell uh so so it, this basically was able to become very similar to that in my mind and, and it, at one point it was it was easy to let go of right um, it's part of that growing the con- the human conscience <laughs> at, at at some point it, it it just kind of triggers within you wait a minute even one second, even one millisecond of the worst possible torture is too much. Absolutely. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I, some of the, the most fear of hell I had did not come from the pulpit. It didn't come from church. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the cartoon Tom and Jerry? Oh, yeah. There, there was an episode of Tom and Jerry where apparently heaven and hell were in the balance and you know the cat tom was the cat right and he did something horrible to the mouse and the mouse had to sign a paper from god to save uh tom from going to hell and there was an actual escalator going down into this fiery pit and it scared the bejesus out of me uh so you know you you, christians should should not uh, leave any stone unturned into how they can keep people scared in the fold yeah so i've got um I'll just do my next two on the list. Uh, the disparity in gender roles uh, made no sense to me. Uh, so again, I came from a denomination where um, women were subordinate uh, to men in just about everything. And uh, I have talked about how that um, that idea has screwed up uh, my my um it's just screwed me up <laughs> for um for a long time and I'm, I'm you know i have to fight this all the time uh and i'm i'm better now but i'm never going to be uh i'm never going to be really normal <laughs> i think in in that regard uh but that said it it did. I, I I could never figure out, uh, even as a Christian, even when I believed that there was this disparity, I never could figure out why there needed to be this disparity. The whole explanation of the woman was deceived and not the man just just seemed batshit crazy to me. Um, that always seemed wrong. That never sat well with me. I mean, it's it's something that the Bible says. But it just it makes no sense, and I still grew up in a world where we had female world leaders. Uh, you know, in history, we've had female leaders, queens, and so forth, uh, heads of um, uh, various religions uh, and or even cults, heads of businesses. Um, I was born in 1970, uh, and I you know I grew up seeing women in authority. Most teachers that I knew were women. Um, so at every level, uh, women were heads of houses because in the black community that you don't see a lot of mom and dads who have been together, uh, you know, from, from first marriage with teenage kids. Uh, you see a lot of kids being raised by, uh, you know, aunts, and 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 nat meet nemos and um uh and and such and so the family is a little bit uh messed up at a at a certain level of black society and so uh i was very lucky i still have you know my my original mom and dad uh from the jump but most people do not 
uh, and didn't grow up that way. And they were generally raised by women. Uh, this is this is the only reason I, I digress. Uh, in the black community, black men are largely raised by women. <laughs> and so it's really hard to to fathom the idea that somehow women are not supposed to uh, usurp authority over men in some way. Everywhere you look around, uh, even at the time when I was growing up, uh, women women had plenty of power. Uh, and uh, that's how it was going to be. So it, this just seemed like a, a very strange, anachronistic thing. Yeah, I, I remember struggling with that, too, when I was on my way out. But I remember when I was on the inside that it was it was really not preached that women were lesser or inferior. It was the you know idea of separate but uh, uh, different, but separate but equal. Right. It was that, yeah, women are just as good as men, but no, they can't be priests just because that's what the that's what the Bible says. And that was not in any way some sort of strike against them. Obviously, at this point, looking back, that was a pretty ridiculous justification and, and ad hoc rationalization. Yeah, no, they were equal, kind of like a slave was equal. Right. They have sure. different roles. Yeah. But but they were equal in the sight of God. Exactly. Going back to your uh, to your Adam and Eve uh, uh, discussion about about how that was used to, to keep the woman down. You know, but think about it. Right. In the in the Garden of Eden story, Eve was tempted by a supernatural being and the man was tempted by the woman. So who was the more feeble, weak-minded person in that uh, relationship? I, just, I don't. I don't get it at all. I don't get it at all. I mean, Adam wasn't even deceived. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like, "Sir, let's go. Yeah, I mean, let's so, do this." I don't. <laughs> so, um, I have to say though that you know, as a as a man in the twenty first century, I can I can I can empathize with Adam pretty clearly. Yeah, I mean, look, your woman. <laughs> This is the only. This is the only thing that uh, God has seen fit to give you that is roughly compatible in ways that we don't need to talk about. And she's saying, "You will eat what I set in front of you. Exactly. You will eat it and like it. Or no soup for you tonight. Wink, it's wink, nudge, nudge." Oh. Yeah, I would have eaten too. Um, yeah. So, uh, in the last one on my list. Uh, no, not the last one. Um, the fourth one on my list, that human foibles could be uh, such an offense to God. Uh, now, what is a foible? I mean, I don't know. Uh, you, you're full, but that slice of sweet potato pie looks oh so good, and you really want it, and so you eat it. Uh, is, that, is that a sin? Is, is that gluttony? No, that's just Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> that's, or it, where, where I come from, that's just a Tuesday. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. T- t- talk about blowing something out of proportion, right? Give me a break. <laughs> so, I mean, d- do I need to feel guilty for that? Do I need to repent for that? Honestly? Honestly? So, um, someone says, does this dress make me look fat? No, it doesn't. Uh, that's a lie. Kind of does. <laughs> you, you probably shouldn't wear horizontal stripes. <laughs> yes, these are ba- these are basic fashion rules. Come on, we get with the program. <laughs> um, you know, you could say that, or you could say no. The dress doesn't make you look fat. It's the four hundred pounds. 
<laughs> You're carrying. That's what makes you fat. Um, <laughs> you know, you you have a variety of of options for answers here, um, but uh, the right answer is always no, dear. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent. You look beautiful. Um, do I need to feel guilty for that? Uh, hope not. But I mean, things like that. You know, someone. Someone cuts you off uh, or, or jumps in front of you in a long line uh, and you get angry. Uh, do, do I need to be sorry for that? You know what? All This stuff is just human. Uh, you know, someone uh, someone has, uh, you know, shows up and they've got the latest iPhone and, and I'm stuck with the last generation iPhone. Uh, now, now my iPhone's old and busted. I, I kind of want the new one now. They've, they've made me a bit green with envy. Do, do I have to feel bad about that? Uh, no. I I have to go to the Apple store and get the new iPhone is what I have to do. Um, I'm just saying this is uh, these kinds of things that Christians call sin are what I just call a human. This is just humanity. Uh, and I don't I don't feel even in the Christian economy that waking up morning as a human and doing human things makes you a sin any more than you know your dog humping your leg makes your dog a sinner your dog's not a sinner because he humped your leg <laughs> he humped your leg because he's a dog and he'll hump anything <laughs> so I mean, I mean honestly that's what dogs do and yeah, it, at some it, point we have to recognize that humans do what humans do and that this is not an issue, and that that's, that a God powerful enough to create the universe is sitting there thinking, don't you dare eat another bite of that pecan pie. Don't you do it. Really? Yeah, and, the, and these are things that we can't help because they're part of our nature. And we didn't make our nature. We didn't give ourselves our nature. That came from God. So how could we even be at fault for these things when it, you know, we didn't even have the choice to not have this nature that are going to make us want that piece of pie or to hump legs if you're a dog. And uh, which of us are not dogs at heart? Um, so, uh, the last one on my list for this side, uh, that homosexuality could be a concern to a god. Uh, now, this was probably one of the harder ones of the easy list for, for me to let go. Uh, but it, it's one of those things that you kind of have to do a little bit of, um, uh, thought exercise. If you're a Christian who happens to think that homosexuality is evil, you just have to ask yourself, why is it evil? And, and, you know, you try to chase that down to, to some type of human evil. Um, and at the end of the day, the only thing you can come up with is it's evil because God says it's evil. See, with other things like um, stealing, say, you can figure out why stealing is wrong. Even if you take a God out of the equation, you can, you can kind of work it out in your mind why stealing is a bad thing. Rape. Why is rape wrong? You can, you can kind of work out. You don't need a God to work, work out the, the ethics of why that's wrong. With homosexuality, you cannot work out in, in any humanistic way the ethics of why homosexuality is wrong. can't be done. You, you kind of need a God 
or or a religion or or religious type mindset to 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 work that out. The closest you get is well, there's an ick factor to it because I'm not gay, and so it seems icky to me. And so if it's if it's icky to me, then it must be wrong. Beyond that, I simply couldn't work it out. And once I let go of the idea that there was a God, um, that was that was one of the first things that just kind of flipped, uh, just kind of flipped over, blinked like a light switch type thing to me. Well, I have I have no zero reason uh, to uh, deprecate the rights and and feelings of people who are same sex attracted. I've, I've I've no reason to think any certain way about that at all anymore. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, you you need God's authority in order to make any heads or tails of that. Once you've got more knowledge, once you're open to God not being there, once you learn science, once you learn more about biology, it it, it fell by the wayside pretty easily. I'm, I'm I'm ashamed of what I used to think about homosexuals uh, before I you know learned more about uh, about actually how human sexuality works. Um, and obviously, uh, I'm sure empathy is a big factor as well. P- these people probably aren't bumping into a lot of homosexuals, so it's easy to paint them as the other and dirty, rotten, uh, evil-choosing uh, lifestyle people. Uh, but once you actually start encountering uh, people who really are like that, it- it's it's a lot harder to paint them that way. Well, it is. It's, uh, again, one of those human empathy kind of things. Once uh, once you start growing the empathy... Um, it, it makes a lot of things in religion uh, a little bit challenging. And, you know, for someone who is gay from, you know, birth, or at least from the time of sexual awareness, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to tell a 12-year-old boy that they're, that they're hormoning wrong. <laughs> you know they're not exactly yeah uh that's what they that's what they feel that's what they that's what they are um you know whether it's 12 or 16 or 22 it's um it is the thing that you feel and that um you know that that pull of attraction uh and you don't control that you you don't actually control what makes you horny <laughs> you, you may think you do but you don't um, it, it simply is what it is. And if you are not same sex attracted, the same sex is not going to, is not going to arouse you. And if you are, it will. And that's, that's just the end of that. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's as natural as breathing. And it is just really hard to say that, well, but your sexuality is wrong because it's not like mine. Uh, and you know, I don't want to spend too much time on that. We're, we're going to do a sex show. Uh, I don't remember if you uh, wanted to be a part of that show or not. Um, but, uh, I guess, I guess it, I guess it depends what you're actually inviting me to David. I don't want to show up at your doorstep with the, the lights out and the lava lamps going. <laughs> well, there will be lava lamps, but, um, but I mean, you can't really film with the lights out, man. Um, <laughs> so what, this is this is definitely skeptics and seekers after dark. This isn't your your typical <laughs> weekly show here. Yeah. Well. So yeah. We, I mean, we've we've got to we've got to talk about sex like grownups at um, at some point, and I uh, I just haven't put it together yet. So I I will save most of my thoughts on homosexuality for that. But I just wanted to put it on this list uh, as something that once you 
once you stop trying to please a God or trying to do the things that you think a God wants you to do or think thoughts that you think a God wants you to think or avoid thoughts that you think a God wants you to avoid, you have zero reason uh, to be uh, anti-gay at that point. So, yes. um, yeah. So, uh, if you want more on that, um, the, the, uh, the sex show will be forthcoming at some point. Um, so there's another side of this equation, uh, things that are hard to let go. Like I said, uh, you know, walking away from Christianity is hard. It is hard. And I want to quantify some of the things, uh, or at least qualify some of the things that, uh, were hard to walk away from. Uh, so before I jump into my list, I won't take as much time on this list as I did, uh, in the first part. Uh, did you have some thoughts on this you wanted to share? I think I lost you. Sorry. I was, I was a mute, I was a mute malfunction on my, my part. Sorry about that. Mute mute malfunction. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm back. Yes. I want, I want to, um, I want to emphasize what you're saying here is, is that, leaving Christianity was not easy. Um, some of these things we talked about that were easy to let go of, you know, obviously, you know, doesn't fall into this camp, but there's a lot of loss involved with leaving Christianity when it comes to losing community, losing family and friends, losing certain um, feelings of, you know, metaphysical certainty and what have you, um, just, you know, psychological and emotional effects to, to having drastically different changes in your life and in, in what you believe and how you're going to live. Um, so it's, you know, it wasn't something that was done lightly. It wasn't, that was something that happened overnight, like a, like flipping a switch. Um, it was definitely hard to let go of a lot of things. And I'm looking forward to, to getting into this list with you. So let me, let me try off the top of my head. Some of the things that I didn't put on the list that probably are the more important things I do. Uh, I did and do miss the community aspect. Uh, of it. And it, you know, it's not just being around people, although I think that's a big part of it. It's, it's the sense of belonging. You know, you're part of God's family. You're part of the kingdom of God. And there are these other people who are part of the same supernatural organization. And so you can go anywhere in the world and find someone that you can uh, call brother, you know, and, and you just met him. Right. I mean, that's um, that's a very powerful thing. But just on the on the local level, uh, community is a very important thing. So let me let me just uh, get slightly more personal. Um, As everybody knows right now, I am too blind to drive. Uh, I can see well enough to lust. So don't pity me. Um, <laughs> you've got, you've got the, uh, you've still got the good stuff. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got what's important, but um, yeah, I, so when you, when you were in that situation, especially when you have some health issues, you, uh, you always need a ride. Heck, when you live in uh, a part of the country that does not have public transportation, <laughs> you always need a ride just to go to the store and get groceries. Um, so there are all kinds of things that a, a community provides uh, a person with disabilities uh, that they can't do on their own. Losing that is really hard. Um, that's that's really really much harder than uh, you might imagine. There, 
Um, besides the loss of community, there was the loss of, you mentioned metaphysical certainty. Uh, I've written about this a little bit, but the, the idea that, um, you, that, you know, how the universe works and you, and you know that there's a God and, uh, that you, uh, know the right answers to life. You know, even if you don't, there's, there's a feeling that you do or that you have access to these answers somehow and losing that sense of access, that sense of meta- metaphysical certainty, is really, really hard. Uh, it's uh, that's a that's a tough thing to do, and you know the idea that there's a God that's watching out for you uh, and that can heal you. So you, this sense that you know maybe it doesn't happen all the time, but at any moment uh, when you need it the most, God might come through and heal you. Uh, that's that's nice to have, or that you know when you go on a trip and you're maybe you're a little afraid of flying and you can ask for travel uh, blessings. You know, there's there's this idea that maybe there's this extra layer of protection. It may not fully work all the time, but you know it's it's there kind of to let all of that go uh, and not have any. That's hard uh, for a lot of people. Uh, it's like um, you know it, someone taking the the safety net out from under acrobats. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and this idea that no matter what you can't lose, right? Because if you, if you, you know, deign to do something and it works out, then that's fantastic. And if it didn't, well, it was part of God's plan to not work out when he closes a door, he opens a window. So you didn't have to wallow in failure. You didn't have to live too long with, with defeat when you realize that, you know what, this actually is how it was supposed to be. So I shouldn't worry about it too much. Right. And that, uh, yeah, that sense of all is right with the universe that, that no matter kind of this Molinistic, um, gloss over everything, uh, that no matter what happens, God is working toward the good of those who love him. Uh, so doesn't matter. Did you get the coronavirus and die badly? Hey, no worries. God is using that for the good. So you can feel good about your, your, torture um you know so that there's there's a lot uh to be said about those things that we lose uh that are really hard to walk away from but i i want to talk about a couple of things doctrinally that were hard to walk away from harder to walk away from young earth creationism (laughs) so i was the kind of christian i know that not everyone is the kind of christian like this but I was the kind, I was a Ken Hamish type Christian. Okay. So if you know who Ken Ham is, uh, I need to say no more. He, he built, he built the big boat, right? He built the boat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Ham, Ham and the Ark. Uh, it's Bible story. Um, just kidding. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, uh, one of those. And even as I was growing up and becoming knowledgeable and, you know, starting to read things about, science and uh, biology and physics and such, I still hung on to the young earth creation story. And I I just want you to know, uh, you may not have been one of those, but I want you to know that it is really possible to hang on to the young earth creation story and still uh, be faithful to science up to a certain degree anyway. What I'm trying to say is educated people, people who were smarter than I'm ever going to be, are young earth creationists. And so don't think for a moment that it's about intellect or IQ. Uh, it is not. There are, there are ways to work this story 
to make it work for you. And I was one of those people that was working very hard to hang on to young earth creationism. And one of the reasons I hung on so hard to that and why it was so hard for me to let go of is because my Christian identity, everything that I knew uh, about uh, the story of redemption really hung on the idea that the creation story was literal. And if you snatch that rug out from under the theology that I had built up, the, the theology falls apart. It it falls apart. Um, it's not so much that the young earth creation story is the rug uh, underneath a table. It's that it's the mortar holding the bricks together. You, and you scrape that out and it, it just falls down. Um, and so uh, once again, I want to, I want to recognize that there's a way to tell the story so that, uh, you can have an evolutionary process uh, instead of a, an instant creation process. That's not how I grew up. That's not the story of Christianity that I knew. And to this day, I still can't really make that kind of Christianity make sense. So for me, young earth creationism was one of the hardest things for me to let go. And as a result, it was really holding me back in uh, me learning more about uh, the world and how it worked. I, I was really battling science at, at one point, and I'm not entirely sure uh, what made me finally let it go, but at some point, it just, you know, one more piece of information that I simply couldn't sweep under this rug, and I just had to say, yeah, you know what, the, the, the universe is billions of years and not thousands of years. And I had to accept the consequences of that. And for me, the consequences of that was that a lot of a lot of Bible fell apart that day. That's that's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I I think that wasn't an issue for me. I, from when I was very young, I was interested in science. I've always wanted to be a scientist. I ended up studying scientist uh, science in university level uh, courses. Um, it was always the other way around. It was about Jesus and any of these issues in the Bible that look like they bump up against true science. It was, don't worry about it. The Bible's not a science book. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, metaphorical or allegorical or whatever it was, you know, whatever you could paste over to get by was what you were supposed to do and move on. Don't get bogged down in the science. So it's interesting your perspective on that. So I'm just going to run through these others really fast uh, because we're starting to run out of time and there's a couple of other fun things I want to get to. Um, that Paul was wrong about women. Uh, so this kind of goes hand in hand with the first one. You see, the, one of the things that comes unraveled when you let go of a literal story of creation is that Paul's teachings were based on a literal Adam and Eve Garden of Eden story. His his teachings about the women's role in the church, he uses... He uses the creation story as an example, as an example of things that literally happened. If these things literally didn't happen, then Paul was a freaking idiot. Uh, now, uh, what, what a more generous Christian would say is that Paul was a man of his time. Okay, I think that um, David Kimball Cook would say that Paul was a man of his time. Uh, and I think that's a very generous reading of Paul. But the thing is, uh, I don't care about the men of that time, because you're just saying they're just flawed men. But Paul took his um, 
his ideas and opinions and made doctrine that screwed up the world for countless women for 2,000 years. And we still haven't dug out of it. He, he was not speaking uh, as the authority of some kind of God. He was just speaking as a stupid man of his time. And, and I'll be damned if I ever forgive that. Uh, so it was, it was very hard for me to start thinking of Paul as just some other guy, some, some man of his time. Uh, once I did, I, I, um, I, I had some anger <laughs> over that. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but that was, that's very hard to let go, though, because, you see, for the Christian, Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote most of what Christians think of as Christianity. And if Paul is just some guy writing his opinion, then what do we do with Christianity, you see? You, you can't just let go of Paul's inspirational authority easily and still stay a Christian. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. So, motoring past, um, that the Bible was not inerrant. You can kind of see how these follow a pattern. I was raised as an inerrantist, as you uh, might remember or might can imagine. Uh, Once you are raised inerrantist and then discover that the Bible has errors, you're done. You're, You're pretty much done. It's really hard to recover from that. And quite frankly, even if you are an inerrantist, once you realize the scope uh, breadth and scope of the type of errors that you encounter, it's still very, very difficult. And so I fought the whole, you know, Bible has errors things for as long as I possibly could. Could I tried to keep the Bible um, as true as possible in my mind for as long as I could. Uh, it was very hard to let go. Uh, number four, that there is um, that there is no intelligent first mover. Now, I don't believe in a God, and I don't actually believe in an intelligent first mover, but you will hear me say even to this day, it does not bother me uh, particularly much if uh, we discover that there was some intelligent first mover. Uh, that that still doesn't get me to the God of the Bible or anything that I would even call a God for that matter. But that was a very hard thing for me to let go uh, of. And um, I finally did, but that took some time. And then number five, um, that there's no afterlife. Um, one of the one of the quasi comforting things about Christianity is that when you die, uh, everything's going to be okay after that because you're going to live on in this happy, blissful afterlife. But I say quasi comforting because only a very few are going to make it, and there's an excellent chance that you're not one of them. So if you do believe in the afterlife as a Christian, uh, even most Christians aren't going to make it. So that's not that's not any reason for you to uh, rest on your laurels and feel comfortable about that. But it it took me quite a while um, to to just come to grips in this is after I really stopped believing in God after that. There's no evidence for an afterlife at all. We don't have, there's no reason to believe that, that life goes on in, in some way. And if you don't believe in an afterlife, the project of Christianity is hopeless. You're, you're done at that point. If you can't get a person to believe in a heaven or a hell, 
there's no need of talking about the rest of the story because it simply doesn't matter anymore. Did you want to come back on any of that? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, your list overlapped a lot with mine. Um, the big one. You, you can re- stop pretending like you had a list. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going to take a screenshot and put it in the form. You guys are going to see that I had my list. Uh, the big the big loss that was really hard to get over, and I'm pretty sure I shed actual tears over this, was the idea that once you realize there was no heaven, no afterlife, then this idea that people you've lost, you're going to get to see again in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was a, that was a really big loss. I, I lost a parent when I was young. I was nine years old. Um, and you can imagine... The idea that I would see them again was able to get me through with a nine-year-old mind and a nine-year-old emotional state. Uh, having that uh, to look forward to well, you know, made it worth going on. Uh, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to not have that thought uh, back then when it actually happened. So I imagine that that's a really strong driver for people hanging on because they want that hope. They want to be able to see people again that they didn't get to have last words with people they didn't reconcile with before they died. Uh, I think that is a big loss and it's real. And it's, you know, it's something you have to come to grips with. And, you know, luckily with time, it heals all wounds. Yeah. I, I think that's actually one of the big draws of uh, Christianity too. It's one of the big times when um, evangelists do their deed funerals, uh, for instance. Uh, now they may not do it as publicly and cynically, but you, you have to understand grieving is a great time uh, to, you know, fall victim to some kind of religious nonsense because you've just lost someone that you care about deeply and someone can come along uh, with a story that that person, A, that person isn't dead and B, you can be reunited with them. Uh, so, yeah. Um, once you, once you, Stop believing that. I don't. I, I mean, the evangelists can just go home. There's, there's actually, there's nothing um, that they can say. So I, I have a bonus one. Ooh. I have a bonus one. It's, uh, it's from uh, a conversation that's going on on the board right now. And even though no one responded uh, to uh, my call to get your. Uh, questions and or comments in for this show. Teddy has uh, been mauling on the board lately. Uh, and I wanted to address one of her comments because I didn't have time to address it um, in the comment section. I only had a two word <laughs> uh, response to it in Anyone who knows me knows that I've got more than two words to say about anything. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not a you're not the Mark Twain type of responder, I'm David. Not that bre- guy. <laughs> brevity brevity is the soul of wit, but not David Johnson. <laughs> well, I never claimed to be witty, so um, you know, have have Mike must say things. Um, so her, her comment was essentially, I don't have it in front of me, um, so correct me if I'm. If I'm not categorizing it, uh, I'm gonna, exactly. I'm going right. to try to pull it up while you're talking. So go ahead. All right. So uh, she said, in essence, uh, that an atheist should uh, not tell their Christian parents parents that they are no longer Christians. Uh, we Christians, in particular, should not tell our Christian parents that we're no longer Christians, but instead uh, should lie 
uh, and that this is one of the times where lying would serve a good purpose. Um, and if if they do find out we're atheists, we should lie further and tell them that we've we have recanted and that we're we're Christians now, for the sake of their um, their peace of mind, because they are are thinking and suffering this torment of thinking that their child is going to burn in hell. I think that this is um, the thought process uh, that she expressed. And um, so she was challenged a little, as you might can imagine. Uh, And uh, she further explained that a child of atheist parents who becomes a Christian should, in fact, inform the atheist parents that they have become a Christian. <laughs> um, and part of her reasoning there is this, this is not going to cause the atheist parent any grief at all. <laughs> uh, it's very unlikely that that would cause grief. So the bonus, the bonus uh, bit I have here is um, one of those doctrines that was hard to let go. The feeling uh, that the... Re- I'm sorry, that the feelings of the religionist uh, should be privileged somehow. And that is a very hard thing to let go for a lot of people, even now. And and Teddy's post just kind of highlighted it, that for me, that we should consider the feelings of the Christian if it's our, if our, if it's our Christian parents and our Christian families, because they are suffering thinking that we're lost. But we shouldn't necessarily consider the feelings of atheist parents because it wouldn't cause any distress to them. I want to attack this idea that it wouldn't cause any stress to your atheist parents. This is this is ridiculous, and it's it and it is um, a sign that you really don't understand um, atheists. <laughs> You're not listening to them at all. So an, an atheist parent might, for instance, maybe they were the child of abuse. Maybe they had gone through uh, some kind of cult in their time. Who knows? But they have raised their child uh, to be smart and independent, and they want their child to be free uh, from from cults and con artists and things like that. And so if a child comes up to that parent and says, hey, I just joined Seventh-day Adventist. I, uh, I love Jesus now. They would think that their child has been brainwashed. They would, they would think as much that their child has been lost uh, or, or abused in some way as the Christian parent would think of their atheist child. And the idea that somehow the, the atheist would have a different feeling about that than the Christian parent is quite frankly offensive. Now I can get over it. I'm uh, mostly offensive for the <laughs> offended for the sake of the pro- uh, podcast. It's offensive, but uh, the fact is, it's just short sighted, and it's and it's this process of privileging Christian feelings and Christian emotions over uh, atheist feelings and atheist emotions. Uh, so I'll share uh, before I throw the mic back over at you, uh, Brian. Uh, I'll share another. Uh, piece of my personal story. Uh, when my mother found out uh, that I was an atheist, it wasn't in the best kind of way. 
I had been blogging for a little while, uh, and my blog was Beyond Religion. It's still uh, out there. I think it's beyond beyondreligion.wordpress.com or something like that. Um, uh, look up Beyond Religion, David Johnson. You'll find it. Uh, and uh, I was... Uh, I had that connected to my Facebook account and my Twitter account. Um, probably kind of a mistake. Uh, and I was really just kind of exploring this for the first time. And I was going through that exploration in public. But I was too chicken shit to actually talk to my parents. Uh, and so they found out uh, from some of their religious friends telling them. And uh, my mother wrote me this long, impassioned letter. Part of it included... Yes, my mother wrote me a letter. That's always a bad sign. Um, And uh, it included um, things like, uh, you know, you are really disgracing the family. And, you know, if you're going to to, uh, be this way, uh, you should at least have the courtesy to wait until we die um, before you... uh, you know, come out and and blog and talk about it in this way and things like that. I responded to her something to the effect, how dare you? Who do you think you are, mom, uh, to tell me that I've got to suppress who I am? Are you telling me that you only love me because you think I'm a Christian? So I'm not a Christian, and so you th- uh, you think that I should maybe suppress that? You're worried about your feelings? How about my feelings? How about my identity? Why are your feelings the only ones that matter uh, here? Um, and you want me to actually wait around? You actually want the one thought that I have every day is, is she dead yet? Can I finally blog? Can I finally come out and be me? You really want that? Yeah, it, there was, it was very acrimonious. Interesting thing. We had those exchanges, and then we never talked about it again. We have we have a beautiful relationship, <laughs> and, uh, and we have for years. And uh, the way we maintain that relationship is to pretend that none of that none of that ever happened. <laughs> so um, that's um, I'll tell you about the encounter I had with my dad uh, another time. But uh, it's all a part of this idea that the Christians' feelings are the ones that should be privileged. And the atheist feelings should not be privileged. And even atheists buy into that nonsense. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it was a pretty naked double standard uh, from where I sat. Um, I want to give her some credit. I can appreciate the idea that you don't want to create waves and tension and uh, acrimony where it's not necessary. You know, I haven't told my parents where I stand on this, but it's not, I don't lie. Like they don't ask me every other week and I lie to them. Right. It just, it doesn't come up and I'm completely content to live in this way. As long as it's not coming up, there's no reason to say, Hey, let's sit down and have this really tough conversation. I would love to be able to do that. But I, I honestly think the loss would be greater than the gain, but I don't agree that it go, it should go both ways. Right. If that same acrimony would rise, if a new Christian child, was going to talk to his atheist parents about it, then the reason should hold. It should be the same in both directions. Uh, and this is just more evidence of this idea, again, of Christian privilege. And you're right, it, you know, atheists shouldn't give it credence. They shouldn't give it power. They should call it out for what it is, which is a naked double standard. Okay, you say it naked twice, and this is not the sex show. Um, <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I am uh, implicitly uh, advertising that I want to be on the sex show. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I got to order more lava lamps. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we've been going for about an hour. That's, that's pretty good. That's about what I said. And uh, so, uh, yay me. Now I'm going to blow that up because I have one more piece of bonus material. Nice. <laughs> one more piece. It's, it's, um, it's uh, call it the coronavirus BSC special. I'm not going to clip this out for a special BSC weekly. So um, this is what we're going to get. I'm just going to play this. This clip is about three minutes long. You're going to love it. You really need to hear um, how preachers talk about uh, their faith and how they read the Bible and how they parse the Bible and how they work audiences uh, to get the result that they want. Um, Justin Briarly would have been uh, from this type of background. I think that David Kimball Cook would be familiar uh, with this type of thing. And one of the reasons that I play clips like this and talk about things like this is because uh, I say there is no such thing as real Christianity. Um, there certainly is no such thing as Orthodox Christianity. And this kind of stuff that you're about to hear is real Christianity. It's as real as the Christianity of the people who say, no, that's just nuts. Why are you always playing these nuts? No, they're not They're not nuts. I haven't heard any mainstream Christians stand up and denounce these people as not being Christian. Uh, and so until that happens, this is a mainstream Christian view. Here we go. We have no fear. Go to Acts 28. Do not miss tonight. Your whole life depends on this. And I'm not just saying that. Your whole life depends on it. Acts 28 verse 1. And when they escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received every one of us because of the present rain and because of the cold. And Paul, when he had gathered the bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, became a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hands. That's how I look at all these things. A virus that will come, that will affect the lungs and people get pneumonia and they can't be treated, you know. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffers him not to live. But he shook off the beast in the fire and felt no harm. That means a serpent bit him, the poison went into him, but he shook it off and nothing happened. That means poison shall not harm you. A virus shall not harm you. Now, we're not talking this just off the top of our head. How many remember when the Zika virus was prevalent? Did you know that Hillsborough County became a, 
emergency zone for Zika virus? How many knew that? Remember, when they announced Hillsborough County was an emergency county for Zika. Not only that, they'd ordered 250,000 hazmat suits for the city of Dallas, Texas. We didn't know telling what they were planning at that time. We stood, I stood right here in the pulpit, took authority over Zika. We didn't even know what happened to it. It disappeared. It was, and Zika was gone. And we do the exact same thing. It's all from the same source. It all comes from the same laboratories. The, 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 the patent on these viruses are owned by the same wicked people. Nothing is by accident. But they don't know what we know. They don't know who we know. We know the creator of heaven and earth. And by God, all these things are shut down. The church has the authority. If we can speak to the wind and the waves, if we can stop a hurricane, if we can break a drought, then we have the authority in the name of Jesus. protection over every one of your lives you will not be afraid amen ah that just uh brings back memories <laughs> so this uh this particular preacher um his name had it here uh, a bit ago, uh, Rodney Howard Brown. Howard Brown is um, hyphenated, and um, I uh, I actually followed uh, some of the some of the links to get to that particular sermon because he was. Uh, addressing uh, the church at another occasion, and um, he was telling them, yeah, you know, uh, people are talking about social distancing and things like that, but we, we don't recognize that here. I'm, you know, turn to, turn to uh, two or three people and shake their hands. <laughs> shake, <laughs> shake their hands. And uh, he was saying things like, um, uh, you know, we're, we're here to raise evangelists, uh, not pansies. <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. So I wanted to play um, a little bit uh, of his uh, sermon, at least one of his sermons, so that you can kind of hear how a certain type of Christian, anyway, is dealing with uh, the crisis such as the coronavirus. I mean, and honestly, I I just, I have to say that his speech and his ideas are exactly how Christians should think if you buy into the magic. That's how they should think. I think most Christians don't think that way because they want to live. Because when the rubber meets the road, they, they realize that uh, people are dropping dead from this thing. And they don't want to get it. But there are some who will defy uh, the common sense, the, the, the herd sense, if you will, the, the wisdom of the crowd, and say, I have this supernatural protection. 
and there's some Christians who are listening to this and saying, well, that's not what the Bible says. And no one should think that. But this is your fucking Bible, your religion, your poison that's allowing people to think this way. If you think this is the wrong interpretation, you need to speak up and say something about it. Don't wait for someone like me to say anything about it. No one's going to listen to me. You, moderate Christian, are the problem. Okay. Um, so anyway, it's, it's mesmerizing and um, enraging to listen to that sort of thing and to see it. Uh, we're, we're trying to... We're we're literally trying to keep uh, two or three percent from the population uh, from instant death, and and people like this are saying, "No, don't listen to that. I've got something better right here in the Bible." Anyway, Brian, did you uh, have anything to say <laughs> before we closed out this session of BSC Weekly? <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would just want to remind everybody out there that you should listen to health experts and regulators and people that are doing science and policy and not listen to dusty old books when it comes to fighting pandemics. Be safe out there. Be, be honest. When um, Mr. Howard Brown was uh, speaking, didn't it, didn't it send chills up your spine just a little bit? <laughs> yeah. The rhetoric, you know, the, the thundering uh, cadence and the volume and the pitch I mean, it, humans' words have the power to move. You, you, unfortunately, you got to get past that part and listen to the actual message and realize how bat shit crazy. Bat shit crazy. Sorry, I was right on brand there for you, right? Yeah, See, I you know, keep that good. out. No, I I don't have an echo thing here, and so I was just kind of echoing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and I want to I want to echo for you for what you had said, and, and Sam Harris says this a lot, which is you know the moderate Christian who thinks that that message is also nuts, but doesn't want to say so because he's a brother in Christ, and you you know everyone's got to worship in their own way or what have you. That, that is just such you know crazy hypocrisy. You know we can be brothers in Christ, but stop with the crazy uh, disease prevention methods that you're pitching from the pulpit. It's 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 not going to work. It's going to make people die. So we've got to get past this. Well, I don't want to criticize a brother. I thought they were supposed to be rebuking each other. Aren't we supposed to be rebuking each other as Christians Yeah. uh, in this world? Why can't this guy get some rebuke thrown his way? They don't want to hold up Christ as mockery. uh, And somehow they would think that this type of infighting would uh, be an occasion for making a mockery out of Jesus. Which, of course, it would. Right. I, I will mock you mercilessly. But you should rather deal with my mockery than to deal with some jackass like this walking around in Christian robes with a Christian cross and a Bible in his hand representing your Jesus. He's making a bigger mockery out of your Jesus than I ever could. Yep, 100%. So I would, uh, I you know, it's I really get upset with people like this to be sure because i mean he's profiteering he's taking advantage of of people um well i i'll I'll try i'll try to hold back from saying too many harsh things about the people who follow him 
But those who are moderates and those who are the Christian intelligentsia, you should be doing the work that I'm doing right now. You, you should be out there saying, this person is not of Christ. And if you cannot say that, then the entire Christian project is bullshit. So that said, uh, Brian, it's been nice uh, chatting with you uh, today. I am sorry that you couldn't be on the programs uh, with us, but uh, I will put this up. Uh, people will have a chance to give a listen. I'm glad that you were able to do the after show uh, with me, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, this was great. I, I love the after show format. Thanks for having me on. Uh, extra special kudos to Sarah, Matthew, and Dave, the Graceful Atheist. I thought they did a great job on the show. You guys didn't miss me at that point, but I was happy to get my words in here edgewise. So thanks again. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.